as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. The President of the United States, Joe Biden, has declared that COVID-19 is over. He was on 60 Minutes on Sunday, and there's a big brouhaha about that politically. But let's get to a more technical perspective on this one. Joining us on 710KURV, a virologist, somebody who knows a lot about viruses, is joining us from Texas A&M. From the biology department, Dr. Ben Newman joins us here today. So, is this like a like a like a semantics thing? Like, well, the definition of a pandemic says this, and we're no longer in that. Or what do you think he's talking about? Boy, yeah. <laughs> uh, hello and good afternoon. Hello. Um, I didn't see the announcement, but I read the words, so I guess I'm not sure if he had his pom poms and his skirt out. But it seems like cheerleading <laughs> to me uh, more than anything else. <laughs> oh, that's such an uh, ugly thing to say, Doctor Newman. He's just trying to keep us all I, happy, you know, yeah. and optimistic. So it's, I, I like optimism uh, as much as the next guy. And I think this is coming from the uh, WHO saying that, oh, things aren't terrible and we have the tools now to be able to solve this. Yeah. Um, we're making some progress. But I don't know. Turning that into it's over seems a little much uh, right now. And uh, I, I can see people might like it, feel good about it. But uh, looking at the numbers, I don't feel particularly good about where we are. Uh, just about where we could be. Hmm. Tell us about the the numbers, Doctor. Yeah, sure. Uh, So the U.S. is still doing a little over uh, 60,000 new cases a day, which seems rather high for a totally preventable disease. And we've still got around 500 deaths per day, and that is creeping a little bit higher. It was 300 about two weeks ago. Wow. And as far as some of the preventative measures and some of the ways that we can treat those that get infected with with the current versions of COVID. I mean, we've got the new vaccine out, and we've got Paxlovid, and and, and all these uh, new tools. Um, despite that, those numbers are still high to you, correct? Yeah, for sure. Um, and th- those are all things that help, but the immune system is weird, and uh, everybody's a little different, and. When a virus comes into a body, there's a certain amount of unpredictability. So we can shift things. We can kind of bias it in our favor with vaccines, with all these drugs. But there's nothing out there that actually reproducibly every single time stops a virus once it gets in. Uh, Basically, your only uh, route to doing that is to not let it in in the first place. And I don't know how many masks you see in a day, but (laughs) I, I see one when I look in the mirror sometimes. Oh, so you're not wearing your mask all the time either, because I'm not doing it all the time. No. I used to. Same here. Yeah, not all the time, but I don't know. Maybe I should. Uh, we, we've been yeah. looking at um, the amount of virus in like the wastewater here, and it took a big jump last week, and I'm seeing cases all around me now again. And uh, No kidding. So, yeah, yeah. It shows yeah, up in yeah. feces, correct? That, that's why they look at the wastewater. Oh, yeah. The virus uh, does really well in the intestines. It just doesn't cause as many symptoms down there. So people notice the cough and the lungs and all the rest of that uh, more than the the rest that goes on. Uh, But, yeah, the virus is very happy down there. Dr. Ben Newman is from Texas A&M, the biology department. He's our guest on News Talk 710 KURV. He's a virologist, so he knows a thing or two about COVID and and things like that. Uh, As far as... As far as the statement goes, I'm not going to get political about it, but it seems like COVID is over unless you're one of these um, immunocompromised groups or somebody who is just highly susceptible to it. I happen to be one of those people that has to go out and wear a mask all the time because I've got, I live in a two bedroom apartment with two people that are highly susceptible to COVID. Yeah, well, and that's nice that you're doing something to help them. I, I like that. 
I think the problem is that nobody really knows whether they're susceptible, highly susceptible, or what. I mean, we we have these these data points. You can say, well, okay, I'm not a diabetic. I could lose a few pounds. You know, <laughs> I'm looking at my beer <laughs> again. Um, <laughs> uh, but all of those things are sliding scales, and there's a pretty large component. Uh, so the 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 amount that having diabetes or something raises your chances of dying is relatively small uh, in the big picture. These are reproducible. They're scientifically validatable. When you have a giant pile of data, but when you're talking about one case, and when you've got it, that's the only case that you know, or yeah, the really case yeah. that matters most. Yeah, um, at, you can't really be sure of anything. And there's enough unpredictability that I, I still don't like it. I, I don't like that it's going around. And everybody by this point probably has some degree of immunity, but we're still seeing. 60,000, 50,000, 60,000 breakthroughs a day and 500 deaths. And that's, yeah, that, that's a lot. Let's talk about how this virus has mutated and evolved and some of the new um, immunizations that have gone out to kind of combat well, that. Yeah, sure. um, where, where are we on the, 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 the mutation path? Is it still BA5? Is there another one out? And are these new immunizations tuned for the, the BA5? Are they going to be ready to handle the next ones? And, sorry to, for a follow-up, yeah, how yeah. frequently <laughs> do you envision us taking these immunizations in the future? Because they're talking like four to six months. And like the flu, we get a yearly one. So are we going to be taking, right. is this going to be like a quarterly thing? That's a good question. Um, yeah, so there's a couple factors there. So we need new boosters, you know, so eventually it's just like your tank of gas runs low and you need to top up again. So that's fine. Um, for this virus and these vaccines, that's probably like once a year. But we've got a virus that moves. And so the virus is changing variants. And each variant has something like a three to six month window where it's sort of rising, then it's at its peak, and then it's coming back down. Uh, everything out there right now is either BA2, BA4, or BA5, and, or a slight sub-variance you know, of those. And those are all still pretty close to the original Omicron. So the new vaccine is half Omicron and half the original 2019 version, um, which I, I think they were just uh, covering their bases there. You've <laughs> got a thing that works, and so, well, let's try a bit of both and see how that does. Um, it's, it's good. I'm, uh, I still need to get mine. I'm, I was waiting until I was a full two months, uh, from having had the virus. Uh, and then, then I think that's probably a good time to do it. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're useful. They seem to work, but they're not necessarily a guarantee of anything. They just help. And when you see a breakthrough case, I know that can be really hard to deal with because you say, well, I did everything I'm supposed to do and this still happened. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does, does, but on the big picture, when you've got enough people together, it actually makes a difference, and that's where we win. Yeah, it's tough to tell who's going to react in what way. I know I have a friend of mine who just recently uh, it lives in a household of seven, if you can picture that. And um, the the Rona went on the loose within the house, and everybody got it right. And and within sure. three to five days, everybody was over it. But he took two weeks, and he had to get hospitalized at one point because of it. You know, it's just tough to tell who's who it's going to affect in in what way. Davis, your question. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm um, wondering if I'm trying to think what other vaccinations we get. We get a lot of them in uh, when we're infants or young young. People, what needs to be done? You know, like you don't hear about polio. Now, there's that outbreak of polio wherever it was, but um, we don't. We haven't had an outbreak of polio in the U.S. that I can think of since we all got vaccinated back in the day, and um, nobody talks about it sort of outrunning its usefulness, whatever the vaccine was. Yeah. I'm a little confused about how all this <laughs> and works. The thing is, yeah, the thing is, it probably has uh, to some extent uh, outrun its usefulness. It's You're a buzzkill today, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's downer, uh, downer Monday, I guess. I don't know. Well, um, we live on the yeah. border where so there's that, every kind of disease there is. So I, I guess we should go get vaccinated. Seriously. It's not a bad idea. Um, so the outbreak of polio right now is only in the sewers. 
And there are some people that get infected or uh, even some people that get vaccinated with the live vaccine that they haven't used for years over here. Um, and they will actually shed the virus for years and maybe even for life. And so it could be one of those or it could be an actual small scale outbreak. And it's really hard to tell because all you're looking at is sewage. You, you need to see people to know for sure. Last question before, because we're running out of time. Smallpox had been virtually eradicated. There was the idea after 9-11 that they didn't need bombs. They need to take somebody, infect them with smallpox and set them loose in a, in a major American mall or in downtown New York City or something like that. That would get a lot of people. It didn't happen that I know of, thank God. Um, so what should we do? I mean, not about smallpox, but um, I guess we should all go get renew our vaccines well actually let me let me ask let me ask the question a different way we're used to getting the flu vaccine once a year we're used to hearing that but yeah. we're not used to hearing you should get like it's like say the common cold had a vaccine and you got to get it like every three months we're not used to hearing stuff like that is is that okay to get vaccinated that frequently depends it probably is yeah, it probably is um and Right now, I think with something like smallpox, we're probably okay, because as far as I'm aware, that's only in a couple of real high containment government labs in the world. Yeah. But stuff like monkeypox is on the loose, and so are all these other things. And so, yeah, I think uh, when a virus is growing in people anywhere, we're all at risk, and yeah, vaccination's a good idea. All right. Thanks a lot for your time. We got Thank you, you very much, Dr. Dr. Ben Newman from Texas A&M. He's a virologist joining us on News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Well, we gotta, we're going to introduce our guest right now, Davey. We were talking a little yeah. earlier about divorce rates Ooh. and what keeps a couple together might not necessarily be love. It might actually be the fact that, well, we just can't afford the divorce right now. Joining us on 710 KURV, Jennifer Hargrave is a family law attorney up in Dallas, Texas. She really knows her stuff. One of the, the top names up in Dallas joining us on your 956 Drive Home. So what, what are some of the reasons that people will get a divorce? Oh, my goodness. There are so many <laughs> reasons that people get a divorce. But, um, one of the common ones that we're definitely talking a lot about right now are, you know, financial reasons. Um, you know, we all know that finances can be very, very stressful in a marriage. And it's kind of a, an old adage that uh, are a leading cause for divorce. My experience has really shown me that financial stress is really what happens when the marriage is broken down already. But certainly with job losses right now and, you know, depleted or uh, depreciated retirement accounts, um, you know, people are feeling the hurt in a lot of different ways. So we are um, we're definitely seeing that in our work as well. Would you say money would be the number one reason that couples get divorced? You know, I really think um, the reasons why why marriages fall apart are because of communication breakdowns, uh, because complacency, you just stop, you know, prioritizing your relationship. Uh, people move on to other relationships. I mean, that all sort of happens. But money is, I think, something, one of those things that's so difficult for people to talk about, especially when you have competing values. So we really see it more as a symptom of that broken relationship. I, I can kind of understand hmm. that. Where it, I mean, it's been tough with COVID and people sometimes have a hard time finding jobs or sticking with a job or they maybe they got a little used to the unemployment and they got a little bit uh, too relaxed with everything. And... <laughs> The, yeah. the wife is kind of like, hey, so when are you going to get off the couch and, uh, you know, stop playing Fortnite and uh, go go get a job somewhere? They have why is it always the signs. guy? You always, why is it the guy who's always on the couch? Why not That's a her? good question, actually. You're the expert. Why, why is it? Is it the guy always the problem? 
Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. Um, not in the work I see, it is equal. I don't know. I think that equal <laughs> men for divorce and equal women. So uh, maybe men have different reasons. It's not because she's she's Fortnite, but it might be because she's Facebooking or TikToking. You know, social media definitely um, um, it can be a relationship killer for sure. Joining us on 710-KURV, Jennifer Hargrave is a, divor- a divorce attorney up in Dallas right now. So money fights. What are some of the, you, you mentioned communication breakdowns and, and things like that. And, of course, money is one of the big fights that everybody has. Do you have any advice for people that say uh, don't want to do or how would you do the whole joint checking account thing? Is there a do you have a system for that yourself? <laughs> Oh, do I have a system for that? I'm a divorce attorney. No, I do not have a system for that. People do different things all the time. So, I mean, you know, we're a community property state in the state of Texas, which which comes as a big surprise for a lot of people to learn that all that money that you've been earning while your spouse has been playing Fortnite, all of that is community property, and they're going to share in that. Um, and so people sometimes think that because they earned it, it's their money, and they don't have to share it with their spouse. But in fact, that's not true. So I always love to talk to people who are getting married about, you know, kind of those fiduciary responsibilities that they owe to each other and to try and help them get marriages set off, you know, on the right start. But, you know, I think these days credit, that is huge. And so learning that your spouse has, you know, $50,000 of credit card debt can feel like a real betrayal, almost to the same level as, you know, finding out they had an affair. And so, you know, people can be transparent in their relationships and be honest. But if you're not, if you're hiding stuff in your marriage, you need to ask yourself why. Why are you hiding? Why are you not safe talking to your partner? And look, there are some partners who are not safe to talk to. I totally get it. And if you're in that situation, you know, it's a sign that this is probably a pretty toxic relationship and, um, you know, might be a good time to start talking to a divorce lawyer. You know, I never considered talking to a divorce attorney before getting married, but now it's starting to sound like a really good idea. Davis Rankin, your uh, question for Jennifer Hargrave. Uh, how do you... Um, how often do your uh, your cases involve a spouse hiding assets, and is that only a game of the whatever wealthy is, not a middle class person? So you go to get divorced, and you don't know that so and so's got all this money stashed away. Such a good question. So I will tell you that there are, that allegations of hiding money come up frequently in divorce, especially when there's not a lot of trust. And, you know, you thought you had all this money and you go look in your bank account and it's a huge slap in the face to realize you don't. It's mm-hmm. all been spent. And so um, so I think allegations come up a lot. How often do I actually see it? I don't. It's really hard to hide money. I'm not going to tell you that it's not possible. Um, there, there are some little tricks of the trade that people do to siphon off some cash here or there. Uh, but for the most part, it's, you know, it's hard to hide, to hide large sums of money because usually the IRS knows where it is, your bank accounts, you know, there's a trail. So if you think you've been outsmarting, you know, the divorce lawyers, you're probably not. So we can get a lot of information from payroll records and from, you know, tax returns yeah. and so forth. So it's, it's hard to hide money. What how, makes how much, of money? You know, if you go to the grocery store and you take out a little extra hundred dollars here and there and put it in your pocket, okay, I mean, we might not, we might not, you know, question that. But, that. Um, yeah. but large sums of money can be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, how much does it take to get divorced these days? Is that a big deciding factor in, in couples not getting divorced? How do you keep the price down? Ah, that's, a, that's one of my favorite questions because people have a lot more control over the cost of a divorce than they realize. And so one of the things I always want people to know is that conflict is the number one driver of divorce costs. If you can't agree on anything and you're having to go fight it out in court, you're going to pay a lot more money. If, on the other hand, you know, you both kind of come to the realization that the marriage isn't working, let's just like divide it all up. And, and come to terms with, with what we need to do, it can be much more cost effective. So there are a lot of good resources out there for the do-it-yourselfer. I would never recommend that somebody do it completely on their own um, because you can, you know, you can, you can do, make big mistakes um, that can end up costing you a lot more. But lawyers these days, a lot of them will offer unbundled services or limited scope representation where you can at least sit down with a lawyer for an hour or two and kind of get 
get some information from them um, and, you know, figure out whether the do-it-yourself forms that you, you paid for are worth it um, and that you're doing it right. So I would think that's, that's a good way if somebody's really cost-conscious. But if, if, if you can, to the extent that you can, make agreements with your spouse, that's so critically important. And we, we have a lot of information on our website that talks about the things that you need to be reaching agreements on. People will call us and say, oh, we have an uncontested divorce, but we haven't decided where the kids are going to live, and we haven't decided what we're going to do with the house, and we haven't decided what we're going to do with our retirement accounts. That's really not an uncontested divorce yet. It could be. It could be, but it's not yet. <laughs> There's still a lot there to, to figure out. Uh, I have another qu- question. This is Davis Rankin. Uh, what how do you handle what do you recommend if one uh, one party is want to keep the cost down because and so they want to keep the contention down and their lawyer follows those instructions um, but the other <laughs> side because I've heard of this um, my sister calls them Dallas lawyers there's something about Dallas lawyers <laughs> who are contingent, and the, the effect of that is it makes it it makes it much harder because it gins up emotions and it churns money. Now, why, whether doing it to churn money or because they're just toxic lawyers, I don't know. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not making a cliche. What, how do you do, what, what should the, what should you do? Well, look, if both of the parties are starting on the same page and they both want to save their money for their retirement and vacations with their kids and don't want to be paying yeah. it out to the very fine lawyers, um, one good way to start is to, to ask the lawyers, like, who do you work well with? You know, what is your philosophy about divorce? And, you know, I always tell people, you know, and my, my approach is that divorce is a problem to be solved. It's, I'm not looking for the battle to be fought. But if I have a client who wants to fight, 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 um, you know, I'm going to try and make sure they understand all of the expenses associated with that, but mm-hmm. I'm not just going to take off running. I can't say that's the same for all of my colleagues, um, you know, because divorce lawyers have different philosophies and different approaches to divorce. And yeah. so, you know, if, if your spouse has hired a lawyer who thinks their job is to go pound, 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 and try, you know, and get flesh um, at every turn, then it's probably going to be a very expensive divorce. I mean, one one party gets to decide, you know, do I want to fight? Um, and if they want to fight, then they, they will get to have a fight. I just think it's really good for people to know and be empowered that common sense is a good thing not to not to forget. <laughs> and, um, you know, you, ha- you as the consumer of legal services have a lot more power and control and don't just give that over to a lawyer, you know, make sure again, you've got a lawyer who values the same things you do. Uh, this is going to sound like a joke, but I'm, I'm serious. Do you accept crypto? <laughs> ah, <laughs> um, um, that is a good question. I've not actually had somebody want to pay for their lawyer fees in crypto. I did. I do know a lawyer though, who was offered some crypto and if he had taken it, it would have been worth like $500,000. But at the time, he was like, I'm not going to take, you know, 500 Bitcoin or whatever it was. Um, what about livestock? So I think offered to pay, but I, you know, I, mean, I might consider it. <laughs> it's a little risky these days, pretty volatile. But um, we certainly do see people with lots of, you know, with Bitcoin accounts and, um, and crypto in their inventory. That is fascinating. I imagine that some of the re- that some of the reason in this day and age that people might get divorced is you got a guy, like we were talking about the guy sitting on the couch playing Fortnite. But there are some people that are just, you know, they're, they're these guys that s- start spewing out the memes to the moon and they start investing in Dogecoin and Ethereum and they're trying to do all this mining and it's not working out for them. That's why she's yeah. getting a divorce. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, it's not all that different than gambling. Um, some more recognized than others. But yeah, you know, like both of you should be making decisions together with the money. And, um, you know, if one person's investing in a whole bunch of Louis Vuitton handbags, those at least go up in value <laughs> while the other person is investing in a bunch of, you know, crazy volatile um, crypto, then that, you know, that's something. Um, but, you know, we'll definitely have to have a conversation about how to divide those assets. Well, I want to hear Jennifer, about Louis Vuitton so. handbags. <laughs> Jennifer, yeah, thanks a lot for your, for your time. <laughs> We appreciate your time here with us today. Thank you. It's Jennifer Hargrave, uh, JH Family Law up in Dallas. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. 
News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an active shooter, multiple gunshots. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We are joined this half hour by our good friend Tim Snyder from Matador Economics. He is an energy expert, oil and gas expert, and an economist of all things. And he's got a newsletter at matadoreconomics.com you can sign up for. Uh, the topic today, and I thought this was interesting, um, I had mentioned a few things about uh, LNG developments in the state of Texas, and you had mentioned there is a global registry of fossil fuels coming. What's that about? You know, two days ago, it's great to be with you guys. I always love being on your show. Um, two days ago at the United Nations, there's a, uh, a registry called the Global Registry of Fossil Fuels that was announced by or at the United Nations. Um, it is uh, basically um, it it is uh, to put it to put it in slang and incorrect slang at all. Um, it says that the major boost in transparency in fossil fuel supply, but that also means that they know where the fossil fuels are, and this will contribute to. Um, attaching a carbon budget and carbon taxation to existing or supposed uh, findings of uh, any of the fossil fuels. Uh, it's Excuse an effort me? to raise revenues, raise funds for the for the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, United Nations and their uh, their efforts to completely eliminate carbon from the atmosphere which is just the stupidest thing i ever heard so this is a carbon tax on on um oil and gas producers and this is being started by the u.n what this is exactly is they're going to quantify where every drop of recognized either storage or in ground that has not been developed yet where any fossil fuel exists they're going to quantify it they're going to attach a fossil fuels um, a carbon tax on top of it, whether it's developed or not developed, so that they can use this to help grow and develop, um, you know, food programs for Southeast Africa and all the things that they're going to try to possibly do and continue to kill natural uh, the uh, fossil fuels. Um, it's it's they they're they're saying it's it's the best way to to combine and have one you know, dominant source that actually has all the relevant data, but we have several dominant sources that has uh, all the relevant data. They're using this specifically to be able to uh, uh, extract a price uh, on the existing fossil fuel. Joining us on 710 KURV is Tim Snyder from Matador Economics. He's an oil and gas expert. Davis Rankin, you have a befuddled look. What's your question? I because I am befuddled, uh, Tim. When you say they, uh, the the United Nations has no taxing authority. Yeah, the UN has no You're taxing right. authority, so they can make a list. Like this is a big inventory of where all the stuff is developed or not, and then like who's going to tell them all this stuff? And a lot of this is op- is open source stuff, isn't it? Well, it is. You're absolutely right. And and remember that that outside of the United States, countries own their oil and gas assets. Yeah. On the yes. United States, corporations own their oil and gas assets, and we don't necessarily tell everybody everything we know, um, you know, because you don't want to create additional competition that rides, raises prices uh, on an oil find or a potential oil find or something along those lines. Those could all be real issues. Um, but when you're absolutely right when you say the United Nations can't ex- ex- or, uh, exact a tax, but their member countries can. And that's what Joe Biden was talking about today in part of his speech that he gave this morning at the United Nations when it was mostly a climate change speech, uh, not about the condition of uh, the world economy. Hmm. Well, um, it's kind of like if they suggested and Biden's down with it. 
like if the UN suggests it and Biden's down with it, they can totally do it. But it's not necessarily directly from. Well, I guess it could be directly from the UN. But I have a question. Go, well, go ahead, David. So, and, and so let me just tell you that if you go ahead, I'm sorry. You no, know, if uh, let's say Mexico's they the state the country of Mexico owns their oil and gas, so they're going to be told they need to do what? Which I can't imagine the president of well, he's a prickly sort anyway, taking this lightly. Well, what they're going to do is they want to make sure that they quantify they that they know where these sources are first of all, second of all. Any reduction in a source has to be identified. They've got to follow it, and they will find it to where it can be attached to a carbon tax, okay? Um, they, I say the United Nations is doing this. The reason I say that is because the, the, the majority of this whole program was put together in a U.N., um, just basically a United Nations um effort okay it, it mm-hmm. has un members i mean it's it, it's it's funny because if you look at some of the names and some of the places that, that these people are from um and the first guy is inger anderson who's the under gen, gen, united secretary or under secretary general of the united nations executive director for unep program uh you've got patrick graken a state secretary for the German Foreign Ministry, uh, Simon Kofi, Minister Justice Communications and Foreign Affairs for, have you ever heard of Tuvalu? Um, yeah, I have actually. Martin, yeah. <laughs> I don't oh, know where really? it is, but I've heard of it. I have not. Mark Campanelli, former uh, founder of Carbon Tracker and chair of the Registry Steering Committee for the United Nations. Sunita Kaimal, President and Chief Executive Officer of Natural Resource Governance Issue. This is an effort to quantify and basically put in a box uh, fossil fuels. And here's the other thing that concerns me the most about this is that if you if you give these guys the license to call themselves the one certifi- certifiable source, they can do anything they want to with those numbers. They can bend the numbers. They can twist the numbers. They can they can uh, do whatever they want to do for these numbers. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, these numbers represent a path to taxation or revenues that any entity, specifically the the uh, United Nations based countries, uh, can go after it. And that's a bad thing. That's a real bad thing. What? What Joining should. us on 710 KURV is Tim Snyder from Matador Economics. He's an oil and gas expert. And um, I have some questions about uh, LNG. I had seen like some info packets floating around, and I found out that we're kind of under a, what is it called? A Federal Energy Regulatory Commission scoping period for um, the stuff that's being proposed for Cameron County. And I saw some claims going around that, you know, LNG is dirty and it's terrible. And I, I don't know. I kind of wanted you to help me sift through um, any of these, any of these claims concerning LNG just on the whole, not specifically attributing any, to any company in particular, but just, you know, as the process, how, how does it work? Well, here, here's the, here's the, long and the short of it, then I'll give you a simple answer. And, and this is really a great question. The impact um, of, of natural gas primarily, and then of course liquefying it so we can transport it. That's the, the safest and best way, most, uh, most safe way to transport that gas uh, has been largely positive over the last 20 years. Um, it's, a, it's been largely contributed to a major reduction in carbon emissions throughout the United States as it shifted away from coal. That makes a big difference. You look at what, what China has been doing, um, um, you know, in terms of running ships on LNG versus crude oil or diesel <laughs> fuel, basically. Ship fuel is high, is high PPM diesel, high sulfur diesel, so 500 PPM diesel. Um, they're switching to LNG ships and significantly reducing the impact of uh, any sort of carbon impact that we might have. So, you know, for, for what it's worth, um, it's just an environmental way to go continue to keep pressure on natural gas. Uh, and, of course, it's transportable form uh, liquefied natural gas. 
And um, I think there's, it's just this negative uh, campaign that's out there that's trying to kill fossil fuels. And it's a shame because we need them. And we're going to need them this fall and winter when it gets gets chilly because just like it did this summer, summers get hot and winters get chilly. Davis, your question? You had your hand up. Well, there... Now I'm wishing I'd paid closer attention to this, what's going on in Europe, but Europe was getting its natural gas to heat homes from Russia, either Russia. principally or, yeah. or, I mean, solely or principally, I don't know which. And so they've moved now since Russia invaded Ukraine, they've moved to not use Russian natural gas. And even the Germans have decided to crank back up atomic power plants to generate some power and they've backed off a little bit on some other stuff I, do they get does does europe get other natural gas with which to heat homes number one number two shipping them liquefied natural gas was a way to keep them in the western orbit and not to not to force them to buy gas from russia with all the attendant consequences and, and for the listeners who think those are clean questions they're not clean questions but i think think you know what i'm talking about i do and it, that in itself is a great question and, and by the way you did pay attention uh, <laughs> good job i will Thank tell you. you that um the russians used the nord stream one pipeline for natural gas what started this whole conundrum was the uh, uh the g7 first suggested a, a price cap on energy into europe uh, then the European Union said, okay, we like that idea. We're going to adopt that idea. Russia heard about it. Putin says, okay, you guys do that. I'm not going to just just keep Nord Stream 2 shut down. Yeah. Um, I'm going to shut down permanently Nord Stream 2 and Nord Stream 1. Nord Stream 2 was a product pipeline that could send um, – they were going to use heating oil to replace natural gas because they weren't going to get the natural gas because they could get heating mm. oil. Well – that all gets shut shut down November first, by the way, and and that's in no co- wow. no um, specific coincidence to the midterm elections. But I'll talk about that later. Um, but the facts are that they would the the LNG that we were going to be able to hopefully put on a ship, you know, down in and between Corpus Christi and and Brownsville, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. were going to ship that to the EU and be able to help them out. Now the U- EU also figured out that the United States is looking out for the United States, not so much for the EU. And that's the reason why the French have already reached out, believe it or not, to Vladimir Putin to find a solution. The Indians have done the same thing. They both reached out and asked for unilateral uh, or bilateral trade agreements hmm. with the Russians. And we may see more defection within the EU. I would suspect Germany may be right on the very edge of doing that as well. But um, right now they're looking at uh, adding some heating oil. We can transport that if we're allowed to out of the United States. They may find more ways to stop this, number one. But number two, um, they are cranking their nuclear back up. And unfortunately, the, the country that had talked the EU out of their nuclear capabilities uh, for producing energy was John Kerry in the United States of America uh-huh. telling them they needed to go to this renewable sources of energy to clean the planet. And all of a sudden, not only can they not feed the, they can't feed their people, but uh-huh. now they can't, you know, we can't afford the fertilizers because natural gas is, is, uh, has been banned and we can't create the fertilizers that come from the Ukraine and Russia. So what Man, are we, this, last this question. Is, this spreading? is literally, this is literally like sticking the, the stick inside of the bicycle spokes as it's spinning. That's oh, exactly. Absolutely. But the stick's not made of wood. The stick's made of steel. <laughs> but we haven't got to the threat of nuclear war. I mean, that that's in the news today. I, I don't know what that's going to do yes, to our... Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I watched the prices today, and the prices were mostly down, which means they're discounting Putin's words, yeah. um, first of all. And second of all, I think, I think the markets are more scared of demand destruction from a slowing economy, oh. worldwide economy, um, we had okay. FedEx last week suggest that um, we may be in a world of uh, uh, recession by the fourth quarter of this year, and that has spooked the markets all week long. So that's having more of an impact. But don't I'm telling you, and you guys have heard me say this time, time and time again, you know, don't don't forget about the Russians. I mean, I don't know how many times you're going to walk by that rattlesnake before he bites you. <laughs> 
Oh, I hear you. Yeah. Hey, Tim, thanks a lot for stopping Thank by. You, As usual, that's Tim Snyder from Matador Economics. You can sign up for the newsletter at matadoreconomics.com. This is News Talk 710 KURB, your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURB and KURB.com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Uh, Dr. Ray Perryman is on the line, the Texas economist, and he had a, 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 he had a, a, a publishing a couple of days ago, a few days ago on staying alive and life expectancies within the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm curious if we're in a danger zone or if we're within danger of being in a danger zone or if we should be cautious about being in the danger zone of the danger zone or what do you, what do you think that we're in right now dr Berman? well you're still alive so you're doing okay at this point uh, yeah <laughs> um, i'll take know. it <laughs> i will take it so basically yeah basically what we're what we've been seeing is and it's largely because of covid covid is about 50 percent of the problem from what we can tell. But life expectancy is, I think most of us know, has been going up gradually for years and years and years and years. And that's kind of how we measure how we're doing as a society is, 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 is life expectancy. And for the past couple of years, it's dropped, and it's now dropped by three years, which puts us back where we were in the early 1990s. And so, uh, again, COVID is, is the biggest contributor, but there are others as well. And and so it's just one of those things that we thought it was worth shining a light on because we already have worker shortages. We we, we already have uh, some long-term demographic trends that are not favorable, and we all want to stay alive longer. And, and so uh, and so from that perspective, I thought it was something that was worth shining a light on. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why I was kind of being um, vague and general and very confusing, enigmatic, uh, cryptic at the beginning of the of this segment. I thought because you were always I, that I, I know. <laughs> that's very true <laughs> they should be used to that by now Good point. Uh, but as as far as because i because i knew this was going to be a COVID thing i knew this was going to be like a skewed number basically because of COVID 19 and so if who who does this affect specifically as far as life expectancy goes are there any are there any um demographics that are susceptible to this now there are uh, and unfortunately it, it hit uh you know, the ethnic minority groups harder than others. It, help, it hits lower income folks harder than others because they have less access to health care, less ability to cope with, with these things, that sort of thing. Then I think the other thing that was disturbing, again, half of it was COVID. Half of it was COVID. And, and, and that's that's not to be surprised, surprising. And a lot of that, particularly in the early days, was in the older segments of the population because it is an average life expectancy. So if you lose a year, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're uh, 50 or, eight or, or 90, it's still a year. But the second most important thing in there was was uh, sort of unintended uh, uh, self-inflicted things, and that primarily, by and large, is the drug problems we're having in the country. And that obviously affects young people a lot. It affects, it affects different groups differently. But basically, that's another area, in addition to some of the, uh, the potential for pandemics and that sort of thing and the public health issues, uh, dealing with the drug problem is really something that this was shining a pretty bright light on. Our guest is Ray Perryman, Dr. Ray Perryman, the Texas economist, our guest on your 956 drive home. Davis Rankin, your question? I have always understood that or believed that um, the life expectancy coming down was really kind of a bad thing and indicative of of maybe a greater problem in society. And what comes to mind is Russia, which has been going backwards. And I thought it was because of excessive vodka consumption. Can you enlighten us, uh, other than getting killed in Ukraine? Um, yeah. Can you enlighten us well, on I, this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, literally, the way we measure the progress of a society uh, historically has been by the increases it's observed in its life expectancy, and yeah. we've seen that you know the life expectancy of people uh, back 
back 100 years ago was much, much less than it is today. 200 years ago was much less than that. And it's been a fairly steady progress through most of our history. And that's why I think these last two years have both gone down and it's down a total of about three years. That's pretty significant. And, and that's why we're shining a lot on it. And it suggests we have a lot of issues. Yes, the pandemic mm. is one of them. It's the biggest one, as, as, as Zach said. There's, there's no question about that. But there's some other issues in there, other types of disease, obesity, particularly drug abuse, that, that are telling mm. us, hey, we, we've got some real work to do here as a society. And there's some things we need to be focused on. And no, when you that, measure us by that ahead. kind of fundamental way that we measure human progress, uh, we haven't mm-hmm. done so well in the last couple of years. It, it does bring up an interesting question. Cause I, as far as drug use goes, I believe that shot up during COVID as well, didn't it? It did. It, it, there, there was a lot of that there. And it's both prescription drugs and this kind of street drugs and that sort of thing. It's a combination of things. But basically, the, the drug abuse levels that we're seeing are, are very high in COVID. Again, COVID contributed to some extent to that as well. But if you look at the, the ethnic breakdowns, the age breakdowns and that sort of thing, uh, once you get past that first wave of COVID, which primarily helped to hit the older population, it's really pretty broadly spread out across the whole population and, and, and again, suggests some real issues that we need to take a look at. And it is falling disproportionately on those who are least advantaged. You remember, Zach, when at some point the medical authority for Hidalgo County, Dr. Ivan Melendez, said we did so badly at the beginning of COVID because we were so sick. And I remember it because it was it's the way he phrased it was startling, jarring. And what he meant was that when it arrived here, it found people who were overweight. And the last I saw, 60 percent of the valley population was either obese or overweight, one of the two. Uh, and un- uncontrolled diabetes, uncontrolled high blood pressure, maybe heart, heart disease, I, I don't know. But it really got those guys fast, filled up the hospitals. No, no question. Which would- yeah, yeah, we've modeled a lot of that over over the years in conjunction with the a Health Science Center. We've modeled some of that over the years. And the obesity levels are much higher in South Texas than they are across the state as a whole. And, of course, the country as a whole, Texas as a whole, is more obese than the rest yeah. of the country. And that does lead to higher incidence of a lot of different diseases, particularly diabetes. And that leads you leaves you with, a, with a, a comorbidity that makes it more difficult to deal with something like the COVID pandemic. And there was a One lot thing- of that that went on. And I do think there's a, there's a special need uh, to address some of these issues in the Valley. And, and there's a lot of good work going on in that regard it, 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 through the UT system and your facilities yeah. there to the A&M system and their health science centers in South Texas. There's a lot of good uh, efforts going on to address yeah. those things at this point in time, but they do need to be addressed. Yeah. The health science center in Brownsville was, um, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say what they were doing, but they were looking at, um, looking at lifestyle changes, which people can just laugh at, uh, but uh, you're not going to bad vibe them. You can't, if, if, even if healthcare is free, get them to go to the doctor uh, when they don't feel bad. That's, you know, that's, that's the cliche about older that, men. Go ahead. That's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And, and wellness, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Some of the things you, that, that you've seen over the years, I, I've worked a lot with some of the health folks at some of the large insurance companies. I was on one of those boards for many years. And literally things like walking a mile. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. running or jogging. I'm talking about walking one mile, taking about 15 minutes uh, a day, reduces the incidence of some of these very, very severe diseases by 25 or 30 percent. I mean, there's I remarkable is- things we can do. And whenever yeah. I've been called upon to advise governments or whoever on on you know how how do we analyze how do we deal with the health issue? One of the first things I say is we have to get healthier. Uh, we, we have to do those very kinds of things. And you're right that that uh, when you don't do that and, and you have excess obesity, that makes what's already a difficult situation much worse. It is something that's within our own control uh, to be able to do. But but mm-hmm. one of the one of the, one of the three or four key things we have to do to manage healthcare costs in this country is literally we have to get healthier, and it's not really that hard to do prevention is the key that is that is the that is the problem and yeah. I, I remember people upset at the at the parks and stuff that were closed and people were saying how come you're closing the gyms and how come you're closing the parks we're trying to get you know we're trying to like lose weight and be better because of all the comorbidities and we, stuff but it's like you guys weren't doing that before we, COVID hit and it takes, it's a longer process yeah. than it then okay well I, I, I walked a mile yesterday I'm healthy now right like it, it doesn't work that way you walked a mile it's, to get a six pack of beer that's not the same thing <laughs> 
and yeah. fritos. So how exactly do we right. how do we that, make that, getting exactly healthier right. like how do we make getting healthier like a like a sexy thing? How do we how do we get people to want to get healthier? Well, one thing that you know, uh, obviously there's some level that you could do with marketing, but but one thing I have advocated that a lot of large businesses do that I think should be looked at as a potential government policy is incentivize it. I mean, mm-hmm. we we have known since the days of of Aristotle that people respond to incentives, and at least he was the first one to write it down. They probably knew about it before that. But but we respond to incentives, and a lot of companies do things like a lower copay on your insurance or something like that. If you do go into an exercise program, if you go into a smoking cessation program, whatever the case may be, if you go into a, a weight loss program and achieve certain milestones, you get lower copays, you get lower premiums, you get, or in some cases, even, even outright cash payments. And those kinds of things have been shown to work. It's a large corporation, so so that's one one area where you could could say that the health of the entire society is a public good, and much like we invest in public health in other ways, that might be a way it makes sense to invest in public health because the returns from that are much greater than the cost. I'm done with that. I would yep. love to see more of that happening. Thanks for uh, Thank telling us about this, Dr. Perriman. Dr. Ray Perriman, the Texas economist, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.